0: Hey, Julie. Hey Lisa, how are you? I'm good, although we were gonna record this in person and our plans fell through at the last minute because of other commitments that we had. So I was very much looking forward to being in person finally and recording this in person, but we're gonna try again next week, right?
1: Yes, we are going to try again next week. And fortunately, just the week after that, we will be together in person for many days in Boston. It's getting close, I'm so excited. How are you doing? I'm
0: excited too. It's like hard to believe that it's so close. And um, we are, you know, our runners that are training for Boston are all starting to taper. And we've got a call with our Boston runners on Monday to go over race prep and um, logistics of the race. And uh, so it's all getting really close. It doesn't feel close, but like, you know, we're almost at the end of September. So it's just also, you know, this year feels different because the timing is different. I'm not used to um, getting ready for Boston at the end of summer.
1: It's all super weird, but it's so nice to have something to look forward to like this, this time of year, because I always get like such a sadness when summer ends and, and just having this race to look forward to after so many months, it, it's really brought in my mind, a lot of joy. And, um, I can tell we're tapering and I mean, because I hit my highest mile mileage last week and I am in that place where I'm constantly hungry, you know, like I just hit like that where you're over a certain mileage, and you just feel hungry more. So I've noticed I noticed that about me in marathon training. And I'm definitely there as we're sitting here. I'm like eating my fourth snack in the morning. What are you eating? Oh, my God. (laughs) I say what I mean with our listeners what you're snacking on Lisa, candy corn, the best, you know, carving up. I like the harvest autumn mix because it's got mm-hmm. the thick pumpkins in it. Yeah. I noticed that you're not eating that. You're not eating the one. Yeah. You have a different one. I just have the plain old candy corns, but yeah. you know, it's that time of year. So I'm, I'm actually also eating a fall snack yeah, This is totally going to gross you out. It's so good though. It's Trader Joe's pumpkin spice hummus.
0: <laughs> okay, I stopped Trader Joe's. I was in Trader Joe's actually <laughs> the other day and saw that they have so many, you know, now it's all the pumpkin spice stuff. Did not see the hummus. Yeah.
1: That sounds it's interesting. really good.
0: Okay. You're you're at least eating healthier, healthier fall steamed foods than I am right now.
1: I don't know if you eat the whole container. I mean, no, it is really good. I promise. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm sure I'm offending our listeners just by the mention of it. But at any rate, um, you had just returned from the Philadelphia distance run, a half marathon. So um, tell us about your weekend and the logistics and the race a little bit, because I think it was a really good sort of window into, uh, what Boston will be like.
0: Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was the first kind of larger, uh, race that I've done since the pandemic and, uh, the way it, uh, I, you know, the reason I had signed up for it was way back for the first year I ever trained for a marathon that was in 2000 for Marine Corps 2000. The group that I trained with, they used the Philadelphia distance run, which is a half marathon in Philly as their, their tune-up race. So they had the whole group go up to Philly. And I still remember the coaches on the sidelines and, you know, with the runners that I had trained with running the Philadelphia distance run. And shortly thereafter, maybe, I don't know, a couple years after they discontinued it, a rock and roll took over and it became the Philly rock and roll half, which I did many, many times. And actually, I would have to say probably one of my favorite half marathons It's my half marathon PR. I just love the course. I love Philly and um, have gone up there and done it a number of times, several years with a lot of our run farther and faster runners. We've made the pilgrimage up to to Philly and done it. So um, earlier this year, I got an email that said um, Philadelphia distance run is back. I guess because rock and roll wasn't putting on their uh the the rock and roll half this year due to COVID, Philadelphia Distance Run was back and their whole theme was retro, which was kind of fun. Like all the you know, the logos and everything was very, were very retro. Um so actually back back in probably May, I had emailed Paul and said, Hey, you wanna take a trip to Philly? This would be a fun, this was my first half marathon. he said, yeah, let's, let's make it, you know, let's, and in May, when we, when we decided to do it, it was also, you know, numbers were lower, vaccines were out. We were feeling pretty confident about, um, being back out racing. So, um, so we decided to do that. And at the time it seemed very far out. It seemed like it was going to be so far away and all of a sudden it was here. So, um, we were a little bit nervous in the past few weeks because, um, there were, you know, things have changed now and we've seen some races even here get turned to virtual and, and we weren't quite sure what was going to happen now with the Delta variant, if the race was going to happen. But we, they were really good with communications. And they kept saying, we've got our permits. We are going to take these precautions. They did require proof of COVID vaccine or a negative test um, that you had to show to get your packet. So instead of showing your ID, you actually had to show your, you know, we showed our vaccine, picked um, just a picture of our vaccine cards. And that's how they gave us our bib. So you were required to show the vaccine card or a negative COVID test and masks were required at the start and at the finish um, and people were pretty good about that. So um, they did reduce the numbers they had. We talked to one of the organizers who said that typically they would have up to 10 or 11,000 runners but they capped it at 2,700. And I haven't looked at the finisher list, but my event, I would venture to guess that it was actually closer to maybe 2000 that finished. Um, there were 10 corrals. Uh, based on your projected finish time just self-projected finish time and each crawl had about 250 runners in it and again I think that was probably less than that though in the end which and they were uh started the crawls every two minutes so it really gave a lot of space between corrals I started out toward the front of my corral and really um felt very spread out didn't you know I caught some of the people in the corral ahead of me um but they were already really spread out by that time um the course is you know is pretty much the entire street in Philly it goes through downtown Philly and then it goes around the river and you get the whole street so plenty of space to spread out and um, at the finish line they you know asked people to put their masks back on kept moving people through the finish area Uh, they did have kind of a finish line festival which was neat to me they had a beer garden and it it was all outside obviously tables spread out and I I didn't see a ton of people that were hanging out there we kind of finished and made our way back to the hotel. We didn't hang out too much after, but um, you know, for the most part, it felt like a a normal race again. So other than the the COVID protocols. So um, beautiful weather um, and just really well organized and great communication by by the race organizers. Really, really great communication. They did move, they were supposed to have an expo um, in, I I forget where the location was, but at the last minute they did move, uh, they did get rid of the expo and do packet pickup and bib distribution just directly from Philadelphia runner, which are their local running stores. And they set out tents outside the store where you just walked up, showed your vaccine card, got your bib quickly went through the store to get your shirt, um, and, and bag and, um, and then you're on your way. So they did, they did modify that. So, um, so yeah, it felt like a good, um, a good reintroduction to somewhat larger racing. Now Boston's going to be much bigger than that, but, um, but all in all, a really, a really great experience. And I had mentioned to you before we started talking, my biggest concern really was the travel and just, um, the logistics around you staying in a hotel, having to go out to get food to eat. Um, we would bring it back to the hotel, but sort of that, that exposure, that potential exposure, that to me felt riskier
1: than, than the race itself. How did you feel when you were running? Like, was were you, kind of like, wow, I can't believe I'm finally back in a big race? Or, or did you feel like, sort of like, oh, it's like time hasn't passed? Like, did you have emotions about that? That's a good question. Um, you know, when I first started, because I
0: had made the decision to start in a corral, that was probably a little toward the slower end of what my expected finish time was, I kind of went back a corral. And because of that, I started at the front of that corral because I knew that that would be, you know, I'd probably be toward the front of that corral. So when I first started and there was nobody in front of me on the streets of Philadelphia, I felt like this feels weird to be out running without like a big crowd, you know, a crowd around you. And I, and then I thought maybe I should have started in the crowd in front of me. So I would have had people to, to run with. Um, but that was very brief because as soon as we kind of settled into a rhythm and there were a few people around me, and then we started to catch up to the corral in front of us, then there were enough people around that it felt like it was um, a real, like a real race. Um, so I think, um, you know, I did feel like it was back to like, like you said, sort of like time hadn't, you know, hadn't passed and it was nice to be back on a race course. And that motivation, of the race, it, it just de- definitely felt a little different to start. And I didn't know how it was going to feel until I got into the rhythm of it. By the time I was, you know, mile two, mile three, um, and there were spectators on the side of the course cheering. And, um, so it did feel, it, it felt like it was, it was back to normal.
1: That's great. I'm really happy you got to do that. And you had an excellent finish time. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, yeah, I mean, you told me your finish time and I made my Boston prediction for you. So we'll see if I'm right. You're always spot
0: on. So I don't, I'm not going to, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We got to see what the weather is like in Boston, Boston. I mean, the weather in Philly was my perfect weather. It was like, you know, 60 at the beginning and dry. Mm -hmm. So it was so nice. So, um, I don't think it got much higher than like 65 or 70 by the time we finished, but it was, it was beautiful. So if we can get that out of Boston in a few degrees cooler, then, then that'll be a great day, but, um, we'll have to see
1: how From that your lips to mother nature's ears. Let's hope so. So, yeah. yeah. So I also ran a race. I ran cherry blossom and similarly had like just a real, it was two Sundays ago. So we didn't record last right, week. Right. So I forgot we didn't talk about that because yeah, yeah, I felt like definitely a sense of emotion um, being on the start line finally and having the opportunity to race a a, a race I've done many years, like you've done Cherry Blossom and Philly. Um, although I've done smaller five Ks over. Um, the pandemic, just being able to do, you know, the right of spring <laughs> in the fall because cherry blossom is typically in the spring, felt so nice. And seeing lots of familiar faces because it's in the DC area and so many of our friends run that race. It was just really comforting to have that back. Um, I definitely though had I had two issues with cherry blossom that had nothing to do with cherry blossom. So first of all. Um, for my birthday, which is in early September, my kids and Darren generously, uh, gave to me, um, the nest. It's this like air conditioner, like temperature adjuster thing. And, um, so thoughtful because I'm always complaining that it's too hot upstairs. I've talked about this. So anyway, Darren, um, installs it, um, on Saturday before cherry blossom. And, I got home at like 8.30 that night. I, I was um, at my girlfriend's house. We did like a little something for my birthday. And I get home and I'm ready to go to sleep at 9, 9.30. And Darren is like, I have bad news. I was like, what? He's like, the air conditioning broke upstairs. And and for me, that for some people, that's fine. But for me, <laughs> I cannot sleep when it's anything over 70. I just can't. But more, it was 80 upstairs. So I was I was like, are you joking? I thought he was kidding. He said, I wish I were. So I tried to go to sleep. I couldn't. So I took my stuff and I tried to sleep downstairs, but of course I wasn't comfortable. I didn't sleep a wink the night before cherry blossom. But like we say in our race prep, Lisa, it really doesn't matter if you don't sleep the night before a race because it's really the cumulative sleep before the race. So I will say, well, it was not ideal. I was okay. Um, know getting getting to the race on no sleep and I did fine. I think for me, um, you know, I ran, I think well, but I feel like I was a little rusty in sort of my race skills. So my advice to everyone out there, and this is advice I'm going to give myself again at Boston, is just do a lot of visualization because it's been a while since we've all raced longer races where you really do have to strategize. And of course For our runners, we'll give everyone race prep and sort of a pacing plan, but particularly for Boston, it's just so important to visualize yourself running slower at the start. And we're going to dig deeper into this in this podcast episode. And because of the excitement of racing again, that adrenaline might be flowing even more than normal. So I think for me personally, I don't think I started out cherry blossom too fast per se, but I certainly didn't start out that slowly. And, um, it felt really good, though, to be pushing and to see, you know, running with friends and um, finishing up and talking with people at the finish line, and it just felt so normal and happy, and it was just such a joy to be able to run it. So, yeah, and, and the end of the story, uh, air conditioning was fixed the next day, all is well in the sapper house. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully our hotel in Boston will not have any drama, like (laughs) (laughs) anything like that. And we'll get some good sleep there. Yeah. So um, speaking of Boston, on another note, I just wanted to give a quick mention. There is another podcast out there that we've really been enjoying. It's called the Strides Forward podcast. Um, Our friend Cherie Turner is the host of that. And she has done a mini series. Uh, about women who are training for boston and for some of them it's their first boston for some of them they're seasoned boston marathoners and she del- delves into their stories and they share first person what what made them decide to pursue boston and it's just like a really nice happy podcast sri does a sort of it's a very professional podcast unlike ours <laughs> like she she chats but she does it in a way that it's it's sort of pieced together. And it's a storytelling type format. It's really nice. So we just wanted to give Shari a shout out and check that out. It's called Strides Forward, especially if you want to get psyched for Boston. It's a, it's a great podcast. And then also um, another podcast that we encourage everyone to listen to, even though Dave McGilvery has been a guest on our podcast already uh, three times, um, Dave was a guest on the Alley on the Run podcast last week where he talked a little bit more about what race morning is going to look like in Boston and we will talk about that specifically next but definitely um, listen to that and I think he will provide some clarity that you may not otherwise have as to how to visualize what your morning is going to look like at the start. So Lisa is there anything else we need to talk about before we go get into the meat and potatoes of our episode? No let's do it. All right So this week we are going to be discussing, because we're finally in taper, the tips for returning to Boston and other start lines after 18 months of not racing. So we phrase it like this because we recognize that there are so many people listening who, like us, haven't raced a marathon or even a race in quite some time. And in addition to the pre-race anxiety that all of us have, which is appropriate, just knowing that you haven't been out there in quite some time and wondering what that's going to feel like can create another layer of anxiousness. And, and we want to do our best to, to calm everyone out there and, and just say you're not alone and to provide our best tips for getting to that start line, healthy, happy, and, and ready to go. So, Lisa, do you want to start us off? Yeah, well, I think we
0: want to kind of start talking about now that we're in taper, um, you know, kind of just putting things in perspective and and getting a big visual picture, a big mental picture of what, um, you know, what your goals for race day are going to look like. Um, and um, so, you know, first, uh, like you said, it's been 18 months and we don't necessarily have a um, have the typical lead up that we normally do um, to a race with some tune-up races that might give us an idea of of where we stand in terms of fitness. Um, but, um, you know, look, at look at where you are and you're running right now. And, um, you know, running may be more or less important to you right now than um, it was before. Like maybe especially for those who are going to Boston, um, you know, this is something that maybe you've been two years in the making. That's been two years postponed now um, getting to Boston. And maybe right now that's not, you know, just uh, you really have to look at what, where in your life does your running fit right now? And what 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 are your goals? Like, is your goal to go feel good and finish Boston? You know, come down the Boston, the home stretch in Boston feeling great is your goal to try to go out and get a PR of, you know, do you feel like your training has been such that that that's what your goal is? Um, you know what we're all two years older. So that's you know, that's I know a big factor for me. And I never like to say that you know we have to get slower with age, but things are different. Um, body composition may be different, injuries that may have happened over the last 18 months, months, the stress that's in your life. So really kind of acknowledging that you're not necessarily the same runner who was going to run the boss bought the original Boston 2020 in April of 2020, and that maybe um, you know, uh as we're starting to frame our goals, that you're, um, that, that, that's you coming you may be coming from a different place. So in terms of setting those goals, um, as you're thinking toward, toward, towards race day, um, you know, setting some, uh, uh, you know, a realistic goal um, and, and kind of an A goal and a B goal maybe, and, um, and giving yourself that flexibility to change the goal before you get to race day, if, 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 if circumstances or just conditions, warrant and like I said before we haven't done any races so this is a challenge for us as well as for the runners we coach is- what is a realistic goal? Some of us don't know because we haven't, ra- we've always kind of used race times as our, our benchmark. Like if you ran cherry blossom in X time, that means that you'll probably be, you know, reasonable finish time for the marathon will be this. Um, we don't all have that. And even doing a time trial on your own doesn't necessarily lead to that. So we, ha- you know, it's a challenge for us to look at a runner and say, okay, well, your reasonable Boston goal time or whatever goal time is X when, when we don't really have a basis for that. So I think being flexible with your goals is, is really important and having kind of a general goal of just getting to Boston and enjoying the experience or finishing strong or negative splitting on the Boston course, which is not an easy thing to do. Those are all great goals too. And, and, um, you know, we're finally getting to the start line. So, and we've talked about this before, but we very rarely remember our finish times from a particular Boston Marathon. I, I don't remember, and I mean, even my PR, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what that was. I don't remember which year it was or finish time. We don't remember the finish times. We remember the experiences. So, try to take a little of that focus off of of your finish time um, and think about what are your bigger goals.
1: I just want to touch on one point that you made um, specifically, and that is that everyone's lives outside of running has, has changed in the past two years. We all went through something pretty big over the last 18 months. Um, and for some, it was a trauma. For others, it was a huge inconvenience. For others, it was actually a life change that was positive in some ways. But whatever the past 18 months has looked like for you, you are someone who's experienced some things that are different than what you would ever expect before um, this all happens. So to that end, that, that does impact our running. It could be a positive impact. It could be a negative impact, but whatever that is, acknowledge that and recognize that it's important not only to set goals based on previous race times, training performances, but also think about the stress in your life and what's happened to you, good or bad, and how that may impact your running. For example, if you've gotten a ton of sleep over the past several months, that is a wonderful impact to your running. Conversely, if you've been burning the candle at both ends because there's been a lot more to manage as the result of past 18 months and perhaps your training isn't exactly the same, really acknowledge that and make sure that you take that into account when setting your goals. And To your point, Lisa, nobody cares what your finish time is, especially people who don't run. They're like, wow, you ran a marathon. How long is that? How far is that? It so doesn't matter. So getting to Boston or whatever your goal marathon is this fall to me is a huge accomplishment given all that we've been through. Completing this race, it's sort of like... Treat it like your first marathon or your first Boston and think of it as my first post-COVID, first post-pandemic race and, and use it as an experience to really enjoy and to give yourself a huge pat on the back for getting to that start line in the first place. So uh, other point I wanted to touch on, Lisa, that you mentioned is changing your goal. Not only give yourself space to change your goal before a race, especially with weather in Boston, we are here to warn you that the weather forecast may change from Friday. I'm sorry, from the week before, like Wednesday, it'll change again Friday, and then it'll change again Saturday, and then again Sunday.
0: And again, Monday morning.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're so right. So just know that goals do change with weather. Um, We all know this We're all season marathoners and runners and understand that weather impacts our performance. But sometimes it's really hard to change your goals, especially when you're already in Boston, and you're ready to go. So in addition, to packing some a wide variety of clothes <laughs> also recognize that you can change your goals it's okay and in addition don't be afraid to change your goal within the race we're not saying to give up on your goal at all but if you start running and your race goal race pace feels really hard when in training it didn't feel that hard maybe there's something going on maybe the humidity or the dew point is higher than you expected and you didn't realize it whatever the reason Don't be stubborn. Realize that you have flexibility and you can control your race. Don't let the race control you, and give yourself the space to make that adjustment within the race as well as before the race.
0: Yep, good point. And we've done that before, like the hot year.
1: Oh my god, our goals
0: right that same day. So you know, we've we've had to do that before. Same thing in twenty eighteen where you basically we had to change our goals on the fly based on weather. So um, I think that's a good, definitely a good point. So. Um, so now we've kind of talked about that, um, goal setting and visual or goal setting and, and wrapping your head around your, you know, what, what you, what do you want to do in, in Boston or at your goal race? Um, let's talk a little bit about things that we all want to start focusing on now during taper. And I, I, we always emphasize to our runners, really the number one thing you can do right now is sleep. Um, sleep is when we recover sleep. Like you said, if the night before the race. You don't sleep if you've had great sleep reading up to the race. This is when you this is when you want to bank your sleep. And because your mileage is down a little bit, um, you can afford to sleep in a little bit later. Um, but um, you know, we work with a lot of runners too who have sleep issues, whether that's because um we've got women in perimenopause or menopause who are having hot flashes that are preventing them from sleeping or just changes in hormones or just stress or anxiety or whatever. We've got runners with young kids who are up in the middle of the night and preventing their sleep, but figure out like right now, what do you need to do? Is it a nap? And you need know, you start incorporating naps in the middle of the day to get a little extra sleep. Do you need to get to bed a little earlier? Do you need to make your room cooler? <laughs> working, <air conditioning? laughs> what is it that you need to do to really um, focus on your sleep? So that's kind of the number one thing that we tell people at this point um, to start doing.
1: Yeah. And speaking of sleep, if you haven't already, we highly recommend doing at least a couple of runs at your projected Boston start time. So if you think if your bus time your bus loading time for example is 8:45, let them. It's likely that you're going to be starting to run Boston. Uh, I would say about 10:30. So yeah, between
0: 10 and 10:30, probably. Yeah.
1: So get out there and do at least one or two. It doesn't have to be long runs, but just kind of adjust to running at that time. Um, have a breakfast and and make sure that you're able to digest your food appropriately at that time. It's good to to make any changes, especially now you've got more than two weeks to troubleshoot that if you haven't done that already. So yeah, in terms of in addition to sleep, one wonderful way to get to sleep is to do some visualization. So why not visualize about the race course? Um, there are a lot, and we've talked about this a lot on this podcast. There are so many terrific YouTube videos out there of the Boston course, pull one up, even if you run the course many times and watch it. And you'll see things and remember things that you forgot about, and it'll get you really excited. At the same time, it's important to visualize your race. At the beginning, when you're feeling really good, visualize going slower. We're not saying you have to go slow. We're saying go slower. So 10 to 20 seconds slower than your goal marathon race pace is going to feel very slow because you will be running downhill. Try to visualize yourself running calmly and running with good form downhill, not breaking, and not getting caught up in the excitement of the race. And instead, picture yourself very calm at the start line, starting and making sure to run 10 to 20 seconds slower than your race pace for at least the first 5K of the marathon. Similarly, picture yourself going up Heartbreak Hill. Picture yourself in Newton going up another hill and saying, are these hills over yet? Picture yourself feeling a little bit of comfortable, but excited that the hills are almost over and then picture yourself running between miles 21 and 26.2, recognizing that at some point you're going to feel uncomfortable. That is a marathon. If it wasn't uncomfortable, people wouldn't want to do it because it wouldn't be hard enough. And when that happens, visualize yourself saying to yourself, what do I do need to do right now to feel better in the situation I'm in? What do I need to do right now to get myself to the finish line happy and healthy? So these are the kinds of things I personally recommend visualizing. Lisa, do you, what do you think about when you visualize Boston?
0: I mean, all of those things, but I think what's also really important to visualize is uh, is going through a tough time, like going through at some point, you're going to be out there. um, You know, the, the best will be out there for two and a half hours. People could be out there for four and a half, five hours on a race course at some point in that span of time, whether it's for 10 seconds or 10 minutes, you're going to go through a time where it's just like sucky. And you're just going to say, you know, you're going to give yourself that opportunity to be like, eh, I can just, you know, I can just, you know, start walking now, or I can just give up on my goals or whatever, or start going down that negative, Spiral that you know of, of self doubt, um, it, it's going to happen, and what you do with it is is really what's going to determine the rest of your race. So I would even visualize those difficult times, and what do you do then to get out of it, or what do you do, you know, letting those thoughts pass, recognizing that it's probably it's brief, it's probably going to be, you know, I, I did this not to visualize, but I what I visualize now um, to help me prepare for that is like the the twenty eighteen the, the the deluge that we had, and. I would always say to myself, okay, this particular time right now, when the wind is in my face at 30 miles per hour and it is pouring, will not last the entire race. It's going to let up at some point. Like the wind's going to change a little bit. The rain's going to stop. And it would, you know, maybe it was five minutes later. Maybe it was 10 minutes later. Maybe it was one minute later, but it would let up and give me a brief reprieve. And then it would start up again. And I would say, okay, I know this is going to, okay, this is going to suck for, um, you know, for, for however long it's temporary. And I'm, I know that it, it, this too shall pass. And so being able to visualize that, I think then prepares you for when you're on the course and you go through that that moment of time, like your, your automatic reflex is to go to the positive, just is to get through it versus go down that that negative spiral. So I think that's important too about visualizations, not only the strong parts of the marathon, but also the parts that might be more challenging.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And we've talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning a lot of times when I find myself going into that negative spiral, it, it a lot of times has to do with fueling. So if you are, you know, Spot on with your fueling, and you feel like for whatever reason you're in a negative spiral still, you may need a little more fuel, particularly if it's a very hot day or a very cold day, your body may be expending energy a little bit differently than what it was doing when you were taking fueling on taking fuel on your practice runs. So just know that often, just like when we're hangry, we can get hangry when we're when we're running, just like we can get hangry at anything else. So before thinking about your thoughts and how you can remove your thoughts, also think about your feeling and what you can do to resolve that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. When we, like you said, when you get hungry or hangry, your thoughts tend to be a little bit irrational. So um, staying on top of that glycogen, the glycogen fueling of your system and making sure you're, you're up on your glycogen stores will certainly help with that, with that mindset as well. Um, and to that end, um, you know, strategizing, in addition to visualization, we wanna strategize and start to think about logistics. Uh, Boston this year is a little less so because we won't be spending a lot of time in Athletes Village, but Boston's a lot of logistics and um and really um strategizing um you know what is how what's my weekend going to look like? And really I'm kind of setting out the strategy for the, for the entire weekend. Um, so in addition to the visualization, um, strategizing as well, um, and checking out, you know, making sure you've checked out the timelines and, um, you know, all of the logistics for the, for the race. And again, they're changing this year. So, um, you know, what is it going to look like uh, race morning? Um, you know, what do you need to, stock up on to prepare? Do you need a, a new pair of shoes before we stay? Like all of that, all of that kind of preparation and, and strategy is important to, 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 review now too.
1: Yeah. I mean, speaking of which, this is a great time during taper, especially because we're not running as many miles to start making plans for, for example, where are you going to eat? Make a grocery list for when you get to Boston, especially if you're flying and you can't bring food and drinks with you. Um, Make sure you have a list of the things you need. There's a great Trader Joe's right on Boylston Street where you can go in and um, pick up anything you need. Um, Make sure the week before the race that you have your home stocked with your fridge stocked with the things you need that you can make sure you're eating the right foods during taper. Make restaurant plans for meals or head, you know, there are plenty of places where you can pick something up and bring it back if you don't feel like eating in or outside of a restaurant, but Boston's crowded. Make a plan. Make sure you've got your pre-race meal plan as well as lunches and dinners around that. Uh, Transportation. Plan what's your transportation going to be from the airport. When are you picking up your packet? We recommend the earlier the better. Uh, Don't forget to take a photo of your vaccine card. And then if you want to meet up with friends and family after the race, make a plan for that. We're thinking... At this point, we don't have a post-race meetup, but my thoughts are the, probably the best place to do a post-race meetup if you don't want to use like the family hookup area is uh, the Boston Commons again, and that's where we're meeting for our pre-race um, meetup. And we will put information about that in our show notes again this week, but we certainly hope, just a little plug, that everybody can join us. Who listens at 9 a.m. on Sunday before the Boston Marathon in the Commons? We will be there and we will do a short shakeout round. Most importantly, get together with everyone and see everyone in person. And we're so excited to see and meet you all. Yeah, yep. Um, Also though, you know,
0: thinking about the, just thinking about the weekend, the Boston weekend and plans limiting uh, what you do it's really easy to get to Boston and get caught up in the excitement and walking a lot of walking around and um, you may want to see things while you're in Boston or sightsee. um, But uh, back to strategizing, you know, figure out what's important. What is it? What, what, what do you really want to see? What do you really want to do while you're there and why are you there? You know, you're there for the race. So um, don't get to uh, Sunday night in a panic of like, Oh no, I've spent all weekend on my, and out and about and, um, and I'm exhausted now going into um, the marathon day. So really um, think about what what you want to do while you're there, plan that ahead and, um, and limit what you're doing. If you're staying after a great time to go do some things afterwards, Um, you know, if if it's not too strenuous, physically strenuous, um, or, you know, next time you go back to Boston when it's not marathon time, that may be the better time to do some sightseeing. Boston, a uh, marathon weekend generally in April, and I'm assuming in October as well, even more so in October, because it's also what I uh, we found out is um, like top um, leaf peak season. You know, everyone comes to see see the, the fall foliage. So I think it could be even more crowded, but it's very typically very crowded in Boston on, um, on race weekend. So like you said, making plans for your meals, figuring out where you're going to get that and um, just recognizing it's going to be crowded and limiting the
1: activities that you do. Uh, might be a a good idea. Yeah, like the finish line, everybody wants to visit the finish line and get pictures before the race. We definitely recommend getting there early in the day. and, And if you are in town on Saturday, I think Saturday is probably a better day to visit the finish line for photos than Sunday, if that's possible. So that's just one example. And don't feel guilty for everyone who's Going to Boston, bringing your friends and family because they want to spectate. Don't feel badly that you're not joining them for fun before the race. Everyone understands that you're there to run a marathon. So let them go and do their sightseeing without you and and just enjoy and, and relax and prepare for the main event and why you're there in the first place without guilt. So in terms of tapering, in addition to all the things we mentioned, including strategizing, visualizing, making plans for eating, transportation, limiting activities. We also encourage everyone to really use the mantra through TAPER of getting a personal PR, personal record in TAPER. Do all of the things you can do to maximize your recovery from training so you can get to that start line fresh and ready. TAPER is so important. And we know a lot of people get like really anxious during TAPER because you feel like you're not doing enough and you're going to lose your fitness, but actually if you can shift your perspective and think of taper as part of your training, where you can get do the best taper you've ever done by limiting, limiting the number of miles, not intensity, keep your schedule the same in terms of a little bit of intensity, having a little bit of speed work the week of the marathon, but less, much less mileage, less time in your feet, more sleep, and fueling. Don't limit your fueling just because you're running less miles. You need you need fuel. It's so important. So don't don't worry. Um, we're not saying that um, this is easy to do. We understand that we're all runners. We love to run, and when we feel anxious, what do we do to? to help us. We run. So then during taper, when we're most anxious, it's extra cruel because we're told we're not supposed to run as much. But just think of your run as you still get to get out there and run. You're just doing it a little bit less and take that time to do all the things we just mentioned. And when you start to feel anxious because you're not doing enough, keep in your mind, I'm getting a PR in my taper. I'm going to have the best taper so that I can be fresh and ready and recovered so I can get to that start line healthy and run my best race. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A couple of thoughts just, um, on, you know, kind of on what you just meant mentioned, but first is that, um, we're trained for this race now. So nothing, you you can't cram in any extra miles the next few weeks. Um, you can overdo it the next few weeks. You really can't underdo it. So you're trained. And, um, you know, even if your schedule says you're supposed to run six miles tomorrow and you're just tired when you wake up tomorrow morning, skip it. It's not going to make or break your race, but getting out there and overdoing it could, could break your race. So that's one thing I wanted to mention. And the second was, you know, you talked about kind of that taper anxiety, a couple, a couple points there. First um, is very natural to start to feel a little taper, um, taper (laughs) twinges, we call them sometimes, or taper crazies. Um, Like, you know, you'll start to feel like, oh, that heel is hurting me a little bit. And that's very um, normal. We see this every marathon that last week, people start to feel like little things that you don't want to ignore, you want to pay attention to, but just know that that's expected. And then the other point about those kind of pre-race nerves are that they're good. We wanna have those pre-race nerves that provides the adrenaline that's gonna power us through race day. And um, it's been proven by by scientific research that our brains are uh, more likely to withstand more discomfort when we're in the middle of a competition. So when you're in a real race and you've got other people around you, you've got that adrenaline going, your brain will tolerate more discomfort. So you'll can push a faster pace and and your body can tolerate it and your brain can tolerate it more. Um, so um, so those nerves are good, but there's a difference between nerves and anxiety. When your anxiety gets to the point that you're kind of self-sabotaging or you're um you're 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 really interrupting your sleep because you're so um, anxious about the race or you start to have negative thoughts about the race. So there's a difference between nerves and anxiety. We want to have those nerves. Those are totally normal. And we'd get, I think we, as coaches, we get nervous if somebody came to us the day before marathon said, yeah, I'm totally chill. Like I'm good. Like, yeah, yeah, we want everyone to have a little bit of nerves about it, but not cross the line to anxiety. So kind of look at yourself in the lat- next couple of weeks and say, okay, it's okay to be nervous. Like that's fine. And that's good, but try not to let it cross the cross the line into anxiety over the race because that can
1: quickly lead to self-sabotage great points lisa so i think that's where we're going to wrap it up for this week and then we will cover next week tips for returning to boston the other marathons in terms of what to do the day before the race the morning of the race and of course execution during the race so we uh we really encourage everyone this week to just remember the mantra we've talked about before, less is more, especially for those who have races before Boston, best of luck to you all. And if you have a question on a day of whether to run or not, because you may not feel be feeling your best that day or a little extra tired, our advice will always be during this time, not Less is more. You will not get anything out of your training over the next few weeks, but you can sabotage it. So really be mindful of that and do everything you can to get to that start line, healthy, happy, calm, and ready. So Lisa, we will talk more about this next week, but in the meantime, have a great week. Thanks. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the run farther and faster Boston marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.